Blog Talk Radio. You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. The Money Motivation brand currently exists. It's Welcome to the Money Motivation Podcast. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. Affirmation, don't just be motivated. Be motivated to act. Don't chase the bag. Attract the bag. It's the Money Motivation Podcast. You've never heard money talk like this. It's time to get into the game. What's up, everybody out there? Listen, I got a couple of special guests, one of our Money Motivation Squad members Rashad Howard, as well as a special guest Terry Simmons. So we'll say hello to each other as I get y'all introduced. We'll do a quick introduction before we tip off our game. Uh, so if you will, uh, y'all say what's up to each other, and um, let's get some introductions before we get this game tipped off. All right, Rashad, you can go ahead and start. How you doing, brother? Hey, man, I'm feeling good. I appreciate you bringing me on this evening. Uh, Rashad Howard, entrepreneur change agent. Business is my activism. Um, I run a number of uh, successful businesses, and, and I guess sort of one of my major claim to fame is that over the last uh, seven years, I've generated over $100 million in five different businesses, and uh, I just started uh, three different businesses last year in uh, three different categories of work, and, and all are above a million dollars now. So there's a blueprint. It works, and we keep it moving that way. Happy to be here, man. Hey, that's why you one of the squad members. Terry, you're no slouch yourself. If you will, say hello to everybody out there listening and give people a little bit of your introduction before we tip this game off. What's going on, brothers? I'm glad glad we can connect tonight. And uh, Montoya, you know, I always, I always say anytime I have opportunity, I think this is one of the most important platforms that I've been exposed to in the past few years because it's given our people substance um, and not just kind of pandering to them and, telling them what they want to hear. But, um, again, Terry Simmons, uh, I'm the CEO of T. Simmons & Company. It's an organizational design, brand development, and workforce development firm. Um, we work with organizations of all sizes from, you know, small minority-owned businesses to Fortune 500 companies. Um, we've got a few subsidiaries that keep our portfolio pretty diversified in terms of the services that we can offer. And, um, you know, so we're, we're – Based out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, our corporate office is uh is uh, right in the heart of Baton Rouge, and just looking forward to the discussion tonight, bros. Hey, appreciate y'all. Again, y'all know what y'all are talking about. For anybody out there listening, this is the unscripted view into the game of business and money. Give y'all everyone out there listening a quick format. So the format is real simple. We run this again as a game. First quarter, I'm going to ask both of our esteemed guests a quick question. Second quarter, Rashad, you'll be asking Terry a question, and that'll be the second quarter. We'll have a quick halftime. Come out of the halftime, Terry, you will ask Rashad a question. That'll be third quarter, and then we'll play a clip, a special clip for everybody out there listening, so make sure you stay tuned for that special clip. But with that said, let's get this game tipped off. So the question, um, Rashad, matter of fact, I'll – well, actually, yeah, I'm going to start with Terry. He's the guest, right? So, again, you're going to you – Rashad, you're going to be a regular member, but we had to get you introduced. Uh, to the audience out there. But with <laughs> that said, um, first, you know, so first question is very simple. 
if you could, both of you can recall way back when to when you first either started your first business or that business may still be going on, but can you recall the biggest mistake you made when starting that business that you had to overcome? Or if the first business is no longer here, what lesson did you learn from starting your first business? So I'll start with you, Terry. That's that's a good question. Um, and I, I think a lot of people in the answer to that question, because of what's going on around us with this pandemic, and a lot of folks are being forced to figure out how to either create additional stream of income mm-hmm. or they're being forced to um, redefine their businesses or, you know, find the resources to, to start one. Um, I would say, so I was 19 when I started my first business. Um, I'm in my 40s now. I'm not going to give my exact age because I'm at that age where you start being vague about it. <laughs> but um, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm, in my, I'm in my 40s now. And um, so I was, I was a pretty good athlete in high school. Uh, went to Northeast Louisiana University in Monroe, Louisiana uh, to play football. And, and this, it, it ties into the, to the first business. So uh, my senior year in high school, I actually dislocated my patella. And so, you know, orthopedic technology wasn't what it it wasn't what it is now. You know what I mean? So I probably wasn't fully recovered when I got to college. But then I so I ended up tearing my ACL. I think it might have been the spring of um, the spring of my freshman year, fall of my sophomore year, one or two. And um, so, you know, you've been playing ball since you six, seven, eight years old. You're trying to figure out. Well, what am I? Where am I going to direct this energy? Because I, you know, some people came back from those ACL tears, but I, I kind of, I kind of knew, you know, I'm I'm not a big guy, so my speed and agility was really my, um, you know, my strength, and I just didn't see where I was going to be able to come back and be competitive. So I was like, where am I going to channel this energy? So, long story short, it was a guy that was, um, he was the big promoter in the region at the time. He was a little bit older than all of us. Um, he was from the West Coast, so he looked different, he talked different. Uh, and he, he had a real business model. He was probably in his early 20s, but he was doing, I mean, we're talking about 1993. So this guy's doing like, you know, $15,000, $20,000 per event in profit. And um, and so one, one night, uh, the campus was dead, and me and a friend of mine were just hanging out at the dorm, and this guy stumbled up on us. I didn't know him personally, and so I, I believe this was divine because that conversation uh, actually led to me starting my first business. Um, and as crazy as this may sound, his sister-in-law ended up working for me 20 years later because I told his story in one of our new high orientations, and she lit up and was like, you're talking about my my, my brother-in-law. So it's crazy how the world works. But So wow. he, starts, he, starts asking us like, he starts asking us, like, well, yeah, and, 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 and if I tell you where he's from, where she's from, where I, the probability is like 1% of 1% that she and I would have ever been in the same room. <laughs> but, um, wow. but so, so, so this guy is, um, is telling me, he's asking us questions. He's being antagonistic. He's like, man, why are y'all cats in school? And, uh, you know, we're giving the rhetorical answer. We're trying to get an education so we can get out here and earn a living. And so he ran it down. So he was like, man, look, I ain't even enrolled in school to, uh, to get a degree. I'm enrolled in school so I have, have access to the student body to promote my events. And he ran the whole business model down to us. He was like, look, man, this is what I do. This is how I negotiate with the venue owners. This is my cost of security, advertising. I mean, he broke it all down. And he was like, 
every time he did parties probably twice a month. He's like, when you see me leave, he's like, I fly back to the West Coast. I, co- I uh, do some um, some uh, lifeguard work when I'm on the West Coast just to make some extra money. But he's like, I make, you know, 30 grand a month. Now, at the time, if we could just go back to 1993 and I'm hearing 30 grand a month from someone that's like 22 or 23 years old, that was like mind boggling. Nah, that's a lot. Did you go and, ahead and jump into yeah, that same that was, business? What kind of business did you go ahead and start, uh, Terry? Yeah, so, 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 me and so, so he didn't know he created his competition that night. So me and me and my, uh, my now nah, I'm not in that line of business per se anymore. But so me and my, my my boy, we were like, man, we could do this. We popular enough, you know, we business savvy enough. Let's do it. So we both went home that summer and worked multiple jobs and stacked up enough money to be able to book our first venue and do our first event. And it actually popped off, man. We we did really well. But here nice. was here was the lesson. Nah, nice, 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 nice. Nah, no, nah, absolutely, yeah. So what ended up being the big mistake when you popped it off? The big, the big mistake was that. So, so we went, we we swung for the fences. Uh, first event we went after the biggest venue in the region, and um, I didn't understand like legal infrastructure. Like you know, I didn't know what an LLC was or what an S corp was or you know what a corporation was. And I was nineteen, and uh, so we got about a week and a half before the event. And the guy that was um, in charge of uh, managing the venue, he didn't really like us. We were young, brash. We were about to bring a bunch of young people in the venue. So he's, not, he's making it difficult on us. And so he, he, he figured out that we didn't have the proper legal infrastructure in place, which, is, which meant that we couldn't get the, um, the event policy that we needed. And so he hit us with, like, a week and a half, he was like, you guys got to have a million dollars in liability coverage. And so I'm like, what? So I'm like, I don't even know where to go. Like, again, it wasn't like you would Google this stuff back then. You know what I'm saying? Like, where do you go to get any No, nah, I get it. I get it. So, I get it. So uh, so once I did find uh, a company that, that underwrote those types of policies, they're like, all right, well, you know, what's the structure? Like, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, the structure is me. What you mean? <laughs> so, um, so that was so, – so, so the first lesson, don't get me wrong, we ended up getting it done. We packed the house and made a bunch of money. But – the first lesson was that, oh, what really matters is the legal infrastructure and, at, you know, and then we're talking, you know, 2020, the technological infrastructure and relationships and things like that. That was the first lesson was that this thing got to be set up right if it's ever going to be real. And I, I learned that in my very first business. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, Rashad, I'm pretty sure you, you would echo this sentiment in our communities that's really where we lack. You know, we, we, we'll talk a lot about how good our product is or we'll talk about how talented we are or, you know, what, what differentiates our product or service from everyone else's. But we, we can never scale it to where it's bigger than just an income vehicle for ourselves personally because we don't have a structure in place. If you don't have a structure in place, you can't get, you know, the, the capital you need. You can't get, you know, government contracts. You can't get contracts with, um, you know, larger entities that can really give you um, the leverage that you need in order to, to scale your business. So so that was the lesson. Nah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm giving y'all the clip. Nah, that makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like if I understand it, if I just real quick, I'm going to jump it over to Rashad. If I understand it, Terry, basically that first business, no structure, you learn that lesson in every sense, any business you've had thereafter, you started in that space. Is that, that definitely the 
sounds like the definitely the best lesson that you learned from that first business. Yeah, it, I'm gonna well, kick it over to you, to Rashad. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. It, 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 I'm sorry, Terry. To really, to really learn it, but but I got I got it okay. the first time, you know. So I, and then I used the next two businesses to kind of master it. Nah, it makes a lot of sense. Rashad, I'm gonna kick it over to you. Your first mistake, how did you overcome it? Or if your first business went under, what did you learn from it? Man, so so there's actually quite a few mistakes, and and I don't really remember my I don't remember my first mistakes in my first business. My first business I actually started while I was in college, and uh and it was a it was a record it was like a, I thought it was a record company that's what I want to call it, and um and and I I remember registering the business and the funny thing happened I got all the way back to back to school, and I remember like gloating to my friends I got this business to look at this LLC. And then they were like, "Cool, so like, you making any money yet?" And I was like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how that's gonna happen. Like, I, I thought you just started a business and then money showed up." And so they laughed at me, of course. But then we figured out the money. But I can say this: I can tell you about a, a fairly recent mistake um, from okay. from a partnership I jumped into, and and it's and it's really kind of the biggest lesson that that I've I've had to figure out and overcome in business all the all the way around, and it's one I, I talk about regularly. And uh, so about about five years ago, um, a good friend of mine called me, and um, he was having some issues with his with his uh, logistics business. It wasn't doing too well, and um, you know I I was happy to figure out ways to try to help and make it you know more successful. I had made a little bit of money in some previous businesses, so I had a lot of capital to kind of burn, and so he called and he gave me this you know the rundown. Hey, listen, partner breakup, a lot of things are going on. Um, I, you know, I really need a loan for the business. And at the time I was like, I'll, you know, I'll just do the loan. But I had a different friend of mine look at all of the numbers. Um, Cause you know, I'd heard from somebody who I really respected, Hey, you got to always review the financials. But in this moment, mm-hmm. I decided that I was going to outsource looking at the financials because, you know, quite frankly, I wasn't really understanding the numbers in the business because I, I had, you know, had partners before that had caught, sort of handled that piece of it. And so Flynn looks at the numbers. He's like, hey, everything checks out. This looks good. You should do it. So I proceed to throw uh, over the course of about a year, I, I proceed to throw about, you know, total about $300,000 into this business, man. And uh, wow. it went all was said and done. Um, and, you know, the thing is, is it started off with, you know, it started off with I think the first investment was about 100 120 to pull it out of debt. And then what I didn't know is that that just got the the bills to current for that month. There were still in the in the oh, time wow. that it took for that check to clear the bank, there was another like sixty to eighty k that that we were down. And so, and then it and then it continued and it continued like that for probably about the the next six seven months. And then you know I fi- I did like a final loan, and um and then you know it was we were able to figure out how to pay it back to me for about three, four months. And then it just all died down. And um, so I, I tell you what I learned a lot about was it was sunk cost and the concept of, of you know, quit while you're ahead. Um, don't keep sinking. Don't, don't something I should have learned during a, during a spade or, or during a dominoes. Don't, don't throw good money after bad. All money ain't good money. <laughs> um, so I, kept, I kept, I kept throwing money at this thing and, there was no mechanism for change internally, no infrastructure, and, and nothing that could actually generate the revenue on the other side. And the real lesson here is I didn't understand the, the numbers of the business. 
I didn't understand financially how it worked. And, and I couldn't sit down with a spreadsheet and generate the numbers myself. And so the point that I, that I want to make is that, you know, I, I happened to be driving across, across country in the last couple of days, and I, I got to do this last leg about, you know, five hours with my brother, and he runs a studio in Memphis, Tennessee, and we were just kind of talking about this show. And, uh, and he was just like, you know, when, he, when he was asking me, well, what, what are you going to talk about? I was like, I'm going to talk about, you know, how every business owner should, if, if, and, and let me just say this as a very explicit point. If you do not understand how, how the numbers in your business work financially and you don't know that there are three financial statements, right, three important ones, three, three of the most important, there's the net income, uh, which is very different than the cash flow statement, and then, and then there's the balance sheet. If you don't know how those work and, and, then, and then how to interpret the success of your business by looking at how the math works, if you can't do basic algebra, and, and really it's just arithmetic, but if you can't do algebra and come up with formulas, algorithms that, that help you determine how to get the maximum value out of the work that you're doing, right, you're going to be losing so much, leaving things on the table and not able to tell the story of your business. And so that's, that's kind of the lesson. And, and, and more than anything, you're just going to lose your shirt and not even know how or why it was happening and not have the ability to recover it because you can't translate the numbers on a spreadsheet into successful practices for your business. And so that's, that's the lesson. But um, the way things ended up working out, you know, we, we, I, I got out of that business. We, you know, we split amicably as possible and, and moved on. And, you know, he's gone on to be successful in his own right. And I've gone on to figure out that um, since then, there's nothing I do where I don't, um, I don't want to say I have to control the numbers, but I have to fully understand and have a level of control over exactly how the numbers work in the business or I don't touch it. And, um, you know, a good friend of mine, Russell McCray, at him, um, <laughs> is also a great person for this show, had told me a long time ago, he said, listen, don't jump into anything until you can review the financials. And when he said it to me, I was like, yeah, yeah, I get it. But what I didn't really recognize, because, you know, my ego was in place, the hubris was there, I, I believe I can rest on my talent. But in reality, when he said it, I remember thinking to myself, well, I mean, if they sent me the financials, I don't know that I would know what to do with them anyway. <laughs> so um, that's the biggest mistake. And, and, that, and I feel like, you know, a second ago, Terry, you were talking about how people don't, you know, particularly people of color don't understand necessarily how to scale their businesses, how to see it beyond themselves as the employee, right? Because we grow up with employee mentality. We're sort of taught to be cogs in a wheel, and then, and then we take our individual talent you know, whether we were great at football, we were great in school, or we were great at something, and we've always had to live on our own success. And so we go into something, we do it all by ourselves, right? And then there's things that we don't even know, there's questions we don't know to ask, all of these things. And so the best thing that you can know about scaling a business is about how do the numbers work, how is money made, where does it come from, and then how do you cover yourself, cover enough people for you to scale with other people to come in. One of the greatest uh, um, joys that I have in life is, you know, providing the, the money that goes into people's households so they can pay for mortgages and college, colleges and, and private schools and, and put food on their table. And that's because I figured out how to manipulate and work with the numbers in my business well enough to now have an abundance to, to, to let that overflow into other people's lives. And so, you know, one of my biggest uh, joys in life is employing people. Knowing that, you know, it, it, on, on the drop of a dime, I, a friend can call me, and if they've got the skill sets and I've got, you know, a customer, because I know how to find those, 
Um, if I've got a customer who has what they have, who, who, who has what they provide, who needs what they provide, I can plug them in and pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars to do the work. And so, you know, that's my biggest lesson in turnaround. That's how I overcame it. I overcame it by like being vigorously dedicated to figuring it out and spent, I spent eight hours each day for two days looking at the same spreadsheet and it was a project management spreadsheet of all the people who worked on a particular contract that I had once worked on. I had uh, one of my old bosses send it to me and I just stared at it and I looked at every single sale and looked at the algorithms behind every single sale and where it referenced. And I wrote it down. And I just studied how do these numbers come together? And it was piece by piece. And I wasn't too embarrassed to call someone and say, I don't understand this. Can you help me teach me how this works? That's how I overcame it. And Rashad, I want to. It's so critical. It's so critical. Um, yeah, go ahead, Terry. Well, where the numbers make sense, the the first thing we have to do is actually have a business model in place, and that's yeah, that that's dramatically different than just having a business. There has yes, to be a model, and then so those touch points that you were talking about. Uh, or that algorithm that you were talking about, it, 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 it all, it's all woven. It's baked into the business model. And, man, that's a, that's a difficult um, lesson to learn because you've got to bump your head a few times in order to really, to really figure that out. Something else you said that really jumped out at me, you said that, you know, you were, you know, basically a lender on that deal. I, I have a philosophy of, uh, and then it sounds like your organization is at a point where you can just, you know, leverage your capital and maybe you don't have to be as involved. But um, I have a philosophy that if the only thing that I can bring to a deal that's of value is money, then I don't, I don't do the deal. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And so amen. it has to be – what's that? <laughs> I'm saying amen, man. I'm just, hey, that's I'm just, a, I'm hey, just, that sounds like yeah. a good point to move into the second quarter, man. Let's move on into the second quarter. But I'll tell you, just me listening and, and admiring what y'all been talking about, the two things I definitely took away from the first quarter was start with the model, which is Terry admits that was his first mistake. Took him a few, few, few businesses to get that down, Pat. And you don't really have a business unless you understand the numbers, which Rashad, I've talked to you plenty of times and heard you say that consistently. And the reality is people are floating out here with their business, still not understanding the numbers. And as you said, they're leaving money on the table. Even if they feel successful, they're leaving money on the table by not understanding the numbers. And as you said, your first mistake was paying someone else to tell you the numbers looked okay. They just took your check. And 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 three hundred thousand dollars later, <laughs> you were in a situation. Yes, so nah, nah, that's big, man. That's big. So with that said, let's move this thing to the second quarter. Uh, Rashad, if you will, you have a, a question for our guest, Terry. Yeah. So Terry, with, with what you said, it just brought up. A, I, I had a different question I was going to ask you, but it brought up a number of different things. And and this this may be this may not sound like your you know this is not a financial statement question. This is you know the business owner question. And so um, one of the things I understand about, about business and life is that, you know, change generally only comes by some tremendous pain or some tremendous gain. And um, along the way, you had seen some, some significant mistakes that, that probably set you back, but now you run something that's very successful. What was the, what was the single either A, most embarrassing um, 
thing that forced or, or most painful thing that forced you to change for the positive so that you can actually become successful or the thing like the moment that you knew that you would actually I'll go back to my original question. When did you know? Well, like what had you done? Was it the first person you sold something to? Whatever. What was the moment that you knew you were actually in business? Oh, um, I would go back to the, the early stages. Um, I've been reminded of that uh, several times, painful reminders at times, but I'll go back to the first one, um, which was, so this was my second business. It was an imprintable sportswear business. Uh, again, this was still like the late 90s. So technology wasn't what it is now. Um, and so my supply chain was broken. I'll just put it that way. It took me way too long to get product in. Um, it took me way too long to get product uh, screen printed, embroidered. Um, it took way too long for me to get designs cranked out. And so it, 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 my, my, my cash flow would get bottlenecked a lot of times because what would happen is that, you know, it, I mean, it's a simple equation, right? So if my if my gross margin per piece was 30% and I was taking a 50% deposit on orders and I didn't have a line of credit, I didn't have terms with my vendors, I didn't have terms with the, um, with the wholesalers that I was getting the uh, textiles from. And when I say, I'm not going to be using these complex words, but just like, you know, T-shirts, hoodies, um, you know, team apparel, uh, corporate apparel. If I didn't have terms with them, if I didn't have terms with the subcontractors that I was using to do some of the production work, then it only took a few significant size orders. I literally had so much business that the business was getting business was actually driving me out of business. So what would happen is that wow. I might pick up like, uh, you know, I had entire parish, you know, in Louisiana, we have parishes instead of counties. So I have entire parishes that would do like all of their recreational departments um, team apparel with us. I had the Archdiocese in New Orleans uh, would do all of their honor roll roundup shirts with us. Uh, I had Greek organizations, colleges, high schools, you name it. But all it took was for me to pick up about four or five large orders. And then as soon as I brought the the product in, um, in which, you know, all of the labor was being done by me, but then anything else that was associated with the production, I didn't have the capital to get it done. So what would happen is that I was always taking money from one deposit and putting it towards another order, which would obviously delay the production on that order. And it just was a, it was a log jam. It was a train wreck. Um, luckily at the time, uh, my stepfather who raised me and put me through school and everything, um, you know, he, he was always pretty, pretty stable financially. So I could always go to him and be like, Hey, look, front me, you know, X thousands and I'll get it back to you by Friday. Friday was just me getting a deposit on a new order, and then a week and a half later, I'd be back in the same back in the same boat. Right. Um, so, so, so when you will, when did so, you when did you get it figured out and felt like you accomplished it? When did that When did that happen? Okay. So again, man, God has been good to me. I walked into one of my vendors, uh, and, I, and this, this this company is still a vendor of mine today. I'm not. I don't have that business anymore. But with us doing brand development, sometimes we'll we'll do some uh, some printing. But um, I walked into that vendor's uh, uh, office, and there was another gentleman that was there, and he had just picked up the order for the the whole entire Boy Scout troop 
uh, for, uh, in Louisiana, all of the Boy Scout troops. It was like a Boy Scout roundup or whatever. He had to do like 15,000 shirts, right? He walked in while I was standing at the counter paying cash to carry out my cases of shirts. He went behind a cubicle so I could hear the conversation, and on his word, he was able to get net 30 on that order to where he could, you know, obviously pay after he had already uh, brought in the cash flow on the deal. And so I was like, hold up. I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, I didn't know you could go to a vendor and say, hey, look, this purchase order for $40,000, I'm going to use it as my credit line, and I need you to go to your source and give me the shirts. I'm going to print them, get paid, and then I'll come and pay you. And so I'm one, I, I may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I get it. I usually get it pretty quickly. So I walked out of there understanding terms. I didn't know that that's what I walked out of there understanding at the time, but I walked out of there understanding terms. And so, again, you know, I've been able to leverage business credit, personal credit, and things like that to grow my business over time. But that was my first – because I would have just kept going back to my stepdad. I, I didn't know okay, that it was a thing. So that's that's the moment you knew you were in business is when you could leverage credit and and begin to 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 essentially factor your way forward with with net thirty day pay terms and and proof of of an invoice. Yes, that's yes. beautiful. Perfect. Yeah. Now nah, that's perfect. That's perfect. So perfect time. We're gonna go to a quick halftime. Again, this is the Money Motivation Pat. Podcast and unscripted view into the game of business and money. We'll be right back. It's time to get in the game. The Money Motivation brand currently exists. It's a, it's a success and lifestyle clothing brand uh, primarily, and it was created uh, because we saw the demand. And it was created in 2017, and we saw the demand for uh, the self-made modern entrepreneur, business leader, high achiever. Um, there was a gap in a prominent streetwear brand that really embodied their journey. So I wanted to take concept and create a clothing brand that could embody that with a mission that's very simple, which was to inspire a life of excellence and freedom, uh, to promote independent thinking, hard work, taking risks, uh, having a relentless commitment to what you do and a uh, never giving up type attitude. Those are all hallmarks of, hallmarks of the brand. And the product line consists of premium T-shirts, outerwear, headwear, accessories, canvas prints, and the like. But there's also a media aspect to this, which dovetails into this podcast actually being created, where I really want to help people be successful in business and build businesses and wealth and be able to enjoy it while they're here, as well as build it for future generations. But it's about being able to live a life of autonomy, and that's been a big part of my motivation to be uh, in the financial industry and also have a brand that can represent that. So the hope is this can influence people to think differently. You just heard from the owner and founder of the Money Motivation Lifestyle brand, Mark Rages, who's giving you details to why we're here tonight. So we want people out there listening to pick up little gems as you listen to this unscripted view into the game of money. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, Special guest is Terry Simmons, as well as Money Motivation Squad member Rashad Howard. We are into the third quarter, so Terry, it's your time to flip it on Rashad. What question do you have for him to kick off this third quarter of our game? Yeah, I uh, 
I'm gonna uh, Rashad. I got a question for you that I um, I'm asking it on my behalf, but I'm also asking it on behalf of um, the people that I invited to listen in on the show uh, because mm-hmm. I mean we we like we all know the data around um, African American owned businesses in terms of like what percentage of our businesses even have one employee. Like, like we don't even need to get into. <laughs> you know, uh, mm-hmm. dozens or hundreds of thousands of employees, you know, it, 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 it's it's right. something like, you know, 80-something percent of our businesses are basically, you know, solopreneurs or microenterprises. And then when we start talking about businesses that have gotten to the scale that your company has gotten to, I mean, it's, I mean, it's got to be less than 1%. It just, it just has to be. And so my question to you would be, you know, like, like I've been successful at consistently growing six and seven figure businesses. I've never grown an eight figure, nine figure business. So like what was the what was the key to you getting from not only the, in, in the trenches where most of our people, you know, never ascend from, you know, but like how were you able to break through, you know, that seven figure threshold to get to eight and nine figures and to the point where you have, you know, capital that you can Reinvest in other companies. How did like what, what was that that launch point for you? From from I'm making a good living. I got a few employees. I'm doing well. I'm doing better than most people around me. Because here's the thing: ninety nine point nine percent of our community would never talk to someone that can you know confidently say, "Yeah, I've, I've generated over a hundred million dollars." Right? So. Like how did you how did you get to that point? I mean, most of the time we have in that conversation, we have a conversation with a professional athlete or someone that tells jokes for a living, not someone that is a entrepreneur categorically. So how did you how did you catapult yourself to that level? Man, um, great question. Um, you know, I, I, it's, I think it's a series of things. Um, so so there was a point where I left a previous company and. Um, and I was sitting in front of um, a former customer of that company um, who, who said something to me and, and, you know, her words were, um, if you could come back and, and, and you have your, all your ducks in a row uh, as a, as a small business, um, I'll give you this contract. Right. And so, you know, I, I went back, got my ducks in a row, came back and took the contract and I got sued and I got sued for, the, the 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 suit I think was was for like for seventy five thousand dollars, and we ended up settling. And I don't remember how much I'm allowed to talk about or not. Don't put um we ended up settling, <laughs> but I got sued. And I remember somebody saying I was at a motivational speakers conference or what have you, probably about three four years before that. And I remember somebody saying he was he was you know kind of a kind of an a hole, but you know, but he was rich and you know so I was listening. And he said, "Man, you're not in business till you get sued." Like, you know, welcome to the new world. If if you're getting sued, then you know you're in business because you're a threat to somebody. And and at that point, you know, now you know you've got some some real you've got some real business that you can do. And so, I remember when I got the letters from from you know this person's lawyer, I was initially afraid because I'd never been thrust in that situation. And and then I remembered those words. And I got so excited because I was like, wait a second, these people think I'm a threat. So whatever, you know, lack of self-confidence or insecurity that I was holding on to, they clearly didn't believe that that existed. 
they like they clearly thought that there was something else there, and so like I think wow. that confidence boost, so it told like you the confidence boost that it did, it did. It was it was it was it was the confidence boost that came from being sued that let me know that wait a second, like that company is generating over seventy five million dollars in business at the time. Um, they had calculated the profit that they expected to lose on the business that I was going after. Now they calculated that $75,000. Um, I was, I was happy that that was the number, honestly, because I was like, well, I'm about, I'm, I'm going to make way more than that on this deal. <laughs> so, so it's cool because I didn't have as much overhead and, and what have you. But so, so I'm going to, I'm going to put a pin in that and say that moment like got my confidence going. Um, but that wasn't the real transition point to being able to generate a lot, you know, a lot more money. But it was certainly a starting point. Like at that point, I, you know, I was, I was listening to Drake, you know, second verse on, on a, a, a Paris Morton music, and you know, um, I should, I can't remember, I can't remember the name of the song. But I know the second part is Paris Morton music too, where he says, "F all that happy to be here stuff that you want me on." I'm the big homie. They still be trying to little bro me. And I remember hearing that, and I was like, "That's where I am." Like they actually see me as a threat. And this is where I need to go. The second thing that started to happen for me that I can work back and kind of recall that, that led to the ability to get there was, I remember other speakers in time and I read this in books where they said, um, you know, if you want to, if you want to expand uh, your business, you got to get a bigger dream. And, and so, you know, my definite major purpose, or if you will, my dream in life is not really about me. Um, it, it's about, you know, creating and building a community where self-determination is our basic way of life. And so in order to do that, I have to achieve things that are outside of the realm of what I can accomplish by myself. And so the next thing is really kind of a, a, a concept around scale. And I had prided myself along the way at, like, always being the guy that could deliver and do so many things. It was me, me, me. I, I, I Rashad was magic. And it wasn't until I got to the point, like, so, I can't remember who told me this, but, man, I get, this, this saved me. Terry, this saved me to me. And he said, why are you talking about this? Though? Like, why do, you, why do you get in front of customers and talk about just what you can do? You realize you're a firm. Your network is bigger than you. So if, it doesn't matter what people ask you. You can do it because all you got to do is call somebody who can do it and connect them and just make sure right. that they're on a the contract to do it with your business and you're done. And so, and so it, it started to allow me to now go after bigger pieces of work. And with my confidence now in place, knowing that, hey, these other people are afraid that that's what I'm coming after their work anyway. So let me start going after their work. And let, let me stop acting wow. like I can't do this because, you know, by myself I can't do it. But when I started to realize that it was bigger than me and that, you know, you can't feed your ego and your family at the same time. So I took my ego out of it and started to say, let me go into these meetings and not be the smartest guy in the room and not try to be the one who could come up with all the answers and not even fake the funk like I got the answers. All I got is questions so that I could fill out a piece of paper to go back to someone else and say, here's what they said they needed. Do you do this? And, and then I got friends who do recruiting, so I call them. I'd be like, yo, can you help me find a person who could do this work? And they'd be like, yep, pay me tomorrow. I'd be like, nope, I need to pay you to your lesson, net 30. Let me get the money up and get this and get these bills paid. Let me get nice. an invoice paid. I'll pay you. You'll bring the people. I'll make them show up and do the work. And now all I got to do is get a little bit off the top of the work that they show up and do. And I don't have to be, you know, Mr. Big Shot, Michael Jordan, trying to always take over the game all by myself. 
right? So at that point, I just learned how to be a really good team player. It wasn't about delegating. It was about realizing that me, Rashad, when Jay-Z says I'm a businessman, right, the, the thing that we could get messed up thinking is that this is an egotistical statement about how cool he is. But if you really look behind the, the magic, you start to see that, listen, does Jay-Z run title? Out of here, man. No, right, right, right. right. He's right. got a whole. Like he wasn't. He wasn't, he wasn't got, making he, drinks no. at the forty forty club. <laughs> no, not at all. Like you hire <laughs> amazing people to come and do this work, and you just figure out how you get the money in place, just like you did with your net thirty terms and your invoice, so that you can put other people in place to go and win and go and do what they do best. And so that made it easier to scale because at that point, there's nothing I can't do. I can bid on anything. I can go after any work because I'll at least know somebody who has the capacity to do it. And I'm not stuck so on thinking stop. that I need to be the one who knows all the answers. So you can't feed your ego and your family at the same time. Provider. You stopped viewing yourself as a service provider and you started viewing your organization as a broker. That's, exactly. That's, that's but I, I started viewing my organization as a firm. When someone talks to me, they're talking to a consulting firm or a marketing firm or a what, whatever it is that they're talking to me about, this is a firm. And, and for all intents and purposes, I could have 500 people behind me doing this. And really, I only need two or three who know what they're doing. And I could pay them at least a consultant fee to write the proposals and get me to work. After that, I got, I got plenty of people I know who can recruit. Shoot, you can't put a post on LinkedIn without recruiters hitting you up saying, hey, do you need staff? Do you need this? Do you need this? So, so I stopped thinking about myself as needing to be the center of all the attention and started realizing that I am a firm. The, the, like I am a business and that business is hundreds of pe- to thousands of people strong who can get the work done. I don't need to do it. I just need to connect to the right people who can at least write the proposals and make the money show up. When I, when I realized I was a firm, the scale happened. It wasn't even hard after that. It's, it's, it's really not hard when you actually make the transition to being a firm and not trying to be, you know, the ball hog. Rashad, let me, let me, Rashad I'm, I'm, Howard, add I'm a businessman. <laughs> I'm a businessman, absolutely. All right, with that said, we always got a special fourth quarter prepared. We're gonna keep this thing running, man. I'm loving loving just getting soaking up the game as as y'all brothers run through it. So if y'all will pay attention closely to this cut. Whatever the cut provokes from you, and this is our classic fourth quarter how we do it. Um basically we lost one of the greatest players of all time. Kobe Bean Bryant, obviously, to an unfortunate accident. So uh, as a tribute to, uh, in a sense, Mark Ranger living out there in L.A., uh, all of us, me and Shaw went to school together, we went to school with Mark, all Kobe fans, if you will. And so to close out for the fourth quarter, which obviously that's Kobe's quarter, right? So we play a cut from Kobe, and we just get both of your thoughts as wealthy and Financially savvy businessman, your thoughts on this cut. How did you get mentally and emotionally so strong where it doesn't bother you? Well, you know, it's, you got to look at the reality of the situation. You know, like for me, it's not, you know, you, you kind of got to get over yourself. Like, it's not about you, man. Like, okay, you feel embarrassed. You're not that important. Like, <laughs> get over yourself. Yeah, that's where you go. Get over yourself. Right, like you're worried about how people may perceive you and like you're walking around and it's embarrassing because you shot five air balls, get over yourself, right? And then after that, it's okay, well, why did those air balls happen? Got it. 
high school, year before, we played 35 games, max, right? Week in between, spaced out, plenty of time to rest. In the NBA, it's back to back to back to back to back to back to back. I didn't have the legs. So you look at the shot, every shot was online. Every shot was online, but every shot was short. Right? I got to get stronger. I got to train differently. The weight training program that I'm doing, I got to tailor it for an 82-game season mm. so that when the playoffs come around, my legs are stronger and that ball gets there. So I look at it with rationale and say, okay, well, the reason why I shot air balls is because my legs aren't there. I go, well, next year they'll be there. That was it. Done. Done. Carrie is our special guest. Your first thoughts after hearing that cut. Go ahead, brother. Man, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to streamline my thoughts after hearing that cut because it's got so many gems in it. Uh, but the, I, I mean, I got about three, but I'm, I'm going to focus on the, the first one that I jotted down, which is that. Yeah, if you will. Um, and and it, it, it piggybacks off of something Rashad said a second ago about it not being about him. And then Kobe reiterated that when he was like, you know, you're really not that important. And a lot of times I think people that are trying to get to a certain level and if they're seeing people that have achieved a certain level of success, so they, they, they perceive them in a certain way. Um, but, you know, it doesn't matter whether you got $100, $100,000, million, you are still human, you're still vulnerable. But I think as entrepreneurs, a lot of times entrepreneurship is branded as ego, bravado, um, you know, almost superhero status where, you know, you're insulated from certain things. But the truth of the matter is, the key to being a successful entrepreneur, one key, is you have to be willing to both succeed and fail publicly. So the fact that mm. failure is an inevitability, it's going to happen. Like you're going to fail. You know, like, like they say in the NFL, there's 100% injury rate. In entrepreneurship, there's a 100% failure rate. There's not an entrepreneur that is categorically that, that accepts risk as a reality as a part of their trade, as a part of building their organization, as a part of building their brand that can, you know, have a 25, 30, 45, 50 year run and not have dozens of stories about taking L's. And so yeah. when Kobe talks about being in the playoffs and shooting those air balls, well, for every one Kobe Bryant, which there's only maybe what five to seven of them in the history of the game, there's, 5,000 guys that walked out of that gym demoralized, psychologically traumatized, and they never regained the confidence to go back out and take those same shots and those same pressure moments. And so I think that the main thing that I get from that clip is that, look, once you kill that ego, then it gives you the, the wherewithal, the integrity, the character, the willingness to go back out in front of those same people and be vulnerable and take those same risks, and he could have shot five more elbows, but he didn't. You know, he, he got, you know, a right. career of game-winning shots, you know, in clutch moments. That's why we called him, you know, mama, because he would transform yeah, in those moments. But, but, but what I'm saying no, is absolutely. it's not like he was – it wasn't ingrained. He wasn't born with it. He had to be placed in that environment. Absolutely. And he failed, and then he made a decision – to, to develop an immunity to failure. And I, and I think that, like, to be a successful entrepreneur, you definitely have to have an immunity to failure. But being immune to failure doesn't mean that it doesn't no, I respect happen. respect that, brother. It, yeah, it, let me just 
Yeah, let me. Yeah, yeah. I respect that, brother. So what I what I'll say is uh, just to highlight this before you close us out, Rashad. I gotta say this because that very moment, uh, you know, a good another good friend of mine, Mo Dunn. I literally called him right after he does the air balls in Utah and called him and says, I'm so excited because in the years to come, he's going to win us championships shooting them same shots. And yep. <laughs> I literally yep. called him after the air balls and told him that. So, yep. So with that said, Rashad, uh, close us out with your, with, what did you take from that actual clip? I'm gonna piggyback off both of y'all. So first, me and Mo Dunn used to. That was my. That's my partner, man. And so, so um, when Kobe won in in uh, 09 and 10, particularly in 10 when he got back at the Celtics, me and Mo watched every game together. And you know we're both big uh, uh, fans. And I just remember it's still ingrained in my head. I hear Mo every time. It's the fourth quarter. It's seven minutes. Once it's about seven five seven minutes left, Kobe time. Kobe time, and, you know, just watching the game close out over and over with him hitting those seconds, those last seconds. Man, it's just, anyway. And so the, the, so the dovetail right off of what you were saying, Terry, where you said you got to become immune to failure. The next thing you got to do is um, introspect, retrospect. So what Kobe talks about is he, he went back and he actually watched the tape, you know. And when he watched the tape, he broke down. Okay, well, this is simple. They were short. It wasn't like I was off target. It was just short, so I got to get stronger. And the thing that every business, every business owner has to do, um, once you've gotten to a point where you recognize that failure is actually part of the, the, the process of succeeding. And so when you have big, big, like ugly failures, that's the moment to get excited, right? But the next thing is, is you've got to have a, a system that you built in. And I mean a system, actually build in a system. In basketball, they have game film. They watch it together. They watch it by themselves. They have ways that they break it down. They have to report on it. You need to develop your own system of capturing your lessons learned and actually writing them down. I do this. Actually write them down. Think them through. Pull them together. Track them. Create storylines, narratives. Be able to tell these stories over and over. Talk to other people, other coaches, other people in business with you, people you don't know, people you think that don't know anything, and talk to them about what specific changes you need to make, but actually think about what happened that led to your failure and make necessary changes. Like the, the introspection, retrospection, the lessons learned process, the documenting what went wrong and then starting to think through um, what specific ways you can start to overcome that next time and then remembering that. And then when you walk into the situation again, actually having spent the time reviewing your notes and reviewing your lessons learned before you go into the next endeavor. It starts to get to a point where, like Kobe and others, you start to develop muscle memory because you practice this footwork over time. So you'll get into certain situations and your body will respond. You'll just kind of feel a certain way and you'll know what not to do or what to do. But, you, but you're not going to develop that muscle keenly if you don't actually spend the time writing down and working through your lessons learned, doing the introspection, talking to other business owners, walking through what happened and, like, running those scenarios and essentially watching the tape of your business. That's the next step. Love it. It's a great closeout. Uh, again, thank both of you, Rashad, Terry. Uh, just real quick, Mark wanted to – Offer you Terry a, a T-shirt from the Money Motivation Squad, so I'll get with you after the show, uh, so that you can get your hands on some of that gear. Definitely recommend MoneyMotivation.com. MoneyMotivation.com to anybody. Make this podcast as well as 
wear the gear that shows you're one of those entrepreneurs that wants to take it to the next level. With that said, game over, and we always end it with a beautiful cut from one Nipsey Hussle. We're out. Unscripted to the game of business and money. Hashtag I am the hustle.